0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Grace, we explore the undeserved gifts that God gives us for His glory and our good. Last week at the picnic, we started talking about grace, right? And um, today's going to be a little bit different. I don't exactly have a specific passage that I want to go to and open up. Um, We are going to still be exegetical because everything that I want to say today, I want to be able to show you from the Word of God. So um, today, like I said, will be a a little bit different in in that vein. Um, Today, I just want to try to get us started in thinking about uh, a concept that John Piper wrote a whole book about, and that's faith in future grace, that how does grace help us in the future as as we are walking, because we know each one of us knows that all of the life that we have to live from now until either Jesus comes or He takes us home is all future. So, how do we live in such a way that His grace, right, that we can tap into His grace, that we can we can um, walk in His grace for tomorrow, for ten years from now, for five minutes from now? We need. His grace. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And actually, we're going to be talking about this for the next four or five weeks. So if we kind of miss some of the things today, because we're going to dive off into the deep end of the pool, that's fine, because we're going to be talking about it over and over again for the next several weeks as, as I re, reinforce the, the, the basic concept of faith and future grace, but also showing us like last week next week we'll we'll actually see okay, how does this faith and future grace help me with my anxiety? Probably something that all of us could use a little help with, right I know I could um, and I hope that you do too. so let me pray and um, we'll we'll dive into what God has for us. Father, I just thank you for your word um, Lord, I thank you for your grace Lord, I just prayed it today that we will we'll begin to understand what your word is saying about walking or living by faith in future grace. This is very practical. This is very hands-on. This is very much relevant to our everyday lives. But yet again, it's still something that you are doing, and you are working in us. So Lord, I just pray that you would help us understand today help me to communicate well and knowing that we will be looking at this for multiple weeks keep our interest help us run the race and help us make it to the end Lord we ask that in Jesus name amen so here we are right another sunday you you made it <laughs> you made it through the week right another week of work of school of raising children, of whatever life had for you this past week. But it's Sunday again, and you gather together with the saints, with those that you've coveted with, with those that um, are calling this place our home to worship with the saints. You've made it. But the... The thing is, is it's not you that made it. God is the one that did it, right? He did it again. He has sustained you through another week by his grace. You have experienced what Paul states at the beginning of each of his letters. Every single one of his letters begins and ends this way. He says, now grace is about to come to you through his writings. And then at the end of the writings, what he says is, now grace, go with you. As you leave, they all gather together. They open up the scroll. He, they read the scroll. Grace comes to them through his words. And they end the time together. And he says, now grace go with you as you leave the door and go out to life. Ephesians 1, 2 says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6, 24 says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So this grace is doing something. He's saying that whenever this letter is being read, grace is being poured out on you. And whenever you leave here today, grace is going to go with you and be waiting for you wherever you might go, no matter where it is, if you're his child. Grace has flowed to you this whole past week, and if you're a child of God, grace is going to flow to you all next week. Last week, we kind of we did define grace in many different ways, but one way by Heath Lambert was all the undeserved gifts God gives for our good in His glory. All the undeserved gifts, right? All the, all the many blessings that we had this past week are undeserved gifts. We don't deserve His grace. And everything that we'll experience next week are all undeserved gifts. We, we don't deserve them. And they're all for our good and for His glory. Like we said, we, we began this series on grace last week. And we looked at God's abundant grace. His amazingly abundant grace as children of God. We are able to confidently go to the throne of grace to find grace, to find mercy and help in the time of need. That's one of those undeserved gifts. We also talked about the two parts of grace, the two sides of the coin of one is unmerited favor, which is undeserved gifts. Just a different way to say it. And then the other side of that coin is the power to do what we can't do on our own. The power to do what we cannot do on our own. And that's the grace that I want to focus in on today. That's the grace that we want to talk about over the next four weeks. What the writer of Hebrews from last week is telling us is that we can confidently go to the throne of grace. And it's a throne, not because it's a special chair, but because who sits on it and who sits on it is Jesus. And it has great power. And we can go- confidently go to that throne of grace to receive grace, to receive the power we need to do whatever God is calling us to do. And what we're going to see today, the true purpose of it, is to sever sin in our life. It's to sever Sin in our life and, and we can confidently go to this throne and we know this throne has power because of who is sitting on it and that passage showed us that this person Jesus he passed through the heavens he is our high priest and he has been tempted in every way that we're going to be tempted but yet with no sin well how in the world did he do that because I know I fall short quite often Well, he did it through a power given to him. Yes, he was fully God and and fully man. But in some way, his fully man part had to be relying on and trusting in something to cause him or keep him from not sinning. Last week, we saw that we can go to his throne as a child of God and receive something. And what we receive is power. Ability to do what we cannot do on our own. This power, as I said earlier, is very specific. It has a very specific purpose for us. Right? Now, I know many of you have seen t-shirts and, and everything else that, that say, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, you know, and it's athletes and different places. Places that, that use this. And, and to some respect, okay, there is a truth to that. But the Bible really overwhelmingly teaches us that that power is specifically used to sever the roots of sin. It is, it is not to accomplish Christian goals and dreams. And it's not to give the Christian success and promotion. The purpose of the power given is to sever the root of sin. And that is very important for us as Christians. That is extremely important for us as Christians. And what I want to argue today is one way this happens is faith in future grace. One of the ways that God uses and that God has given us to sever the, the root of sin in our life is believing in, trusting in God's future grace for that moment. And we're going to kind of unpack that today. Because I just feel that this is the greatest need that we have. And, and the Bible says so, right? The Bible says so. We need to kill sin far more than we need anything that, can, that we can dream up. As John Owen would say, you need to be killing sin or it will be killing you. It, it quenches the spirit. We walk around dreary and and. And feeling bad because we we have sin that we have not repented of. And brother and sister, there's so much joy. How, How in the world can Paul write all the things that he writes in his letters? He's in prison being beaten and what does he say? Hey, I rejoice. Just blows my mind. But he's rejoicing because sin has been severed. He knows that. He's walking in that grace. So, why is this so important? Why is it so important for the Christian to sever the sin in our life? Why is this so important? Because practical holiness is necessary for final salvation. Now, we're going to dive into the deep end of the pool, right? Practical holiness is necessary for final salvation. So what is practical holiness? Well, it could be defined three different ways, or we can look at it three different ways. It's obedience to God's Word in everyday life. So this practical holiness is me reading the Word of God and obeying what it says, right? Something that I know I fall short of quite often. Another way to look at it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Self-control, stop and think about your life. When's the last time you've lost control over something? When's the last time you've gotten angry? When's the last time you've lost patience? Right? And in in a very overarching way that they kind of, whenever they ask Jesus, you know, okay, sum up all the commands. Love God, love your neighbor. So in many ways, practical holiness, it is genuine love for other people. That's what we're called to do. So, we're, who, in, be, in fact, it's not even what we're called to do. It's who we're called to be. We're to be those that love others. It's like the church should be rushing to the border of Texas. Why? Because all those people are there. No matter, you've got to lay down the politics. You've got to lay down all these things. They're people made in the image of God. How can we love them? How can we care for them? And then, yes, we follow the laws and whatever the laws decide on what needs to be done, but the church still should be running to love on these folks. Love is a good summary of holiness. 1 Thessalonians three twelve through 13. Let me show you that from Scripture. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So let the Lord increase. And abound in love. So be more loving, right? So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints. So here it is Paul asking for the Thessalonian church to increase and abound them in love so that they can be blameless in holiness before God at the end, right? Right? Final salvation, we are saved, we are being saved, or sanctification one day, we will be saved, right, in the future, or glorification. One way to describe practical holiness on the planet Earth is love each other, I've said that, it's kind of overarching thing. So there's a, a road to final salvation, and the name of the road is holiness. Jesus kind of used it as a path right there's a, a narrow path to walk on and then there's a, a wide path to ro- walk on Hebrews 12:14 strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the lord and that's kind of a scary passage is it not when I mean, you stop and think about it. strive for peace with everyone well probably stumbling in that every once in a while and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So in other words, you're not going to see the Lord one day face to face unless you obtain some kind of holiness. James 2.17 says this. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's a dead faith. In other words, the faith that we claim way back here when we were saved when God caused us to be born again, if it does not have works, if it does not have obedience, here at the end, at the final salvation, we would look back on that faith and say it was not real. And then there's all kinds of scary verses in the Bible that what happens for those that fall in that category. Now, this may raise a question in your mind. It should raise a question in your mind. I hope it does raise a question in your mind. If we are justified once and for all by grace through faith, apart from the works at our at the point of true conversion, and we would agree, yes, you are. You are, right? Justified once and for all by grace through faith, apart from anything any works that you have done, there's no good thing that you're doing to make that happen. It's all of, all of God. We would affirm that, right? The Bible affirms that. Romans 3.28 says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Okay? And then Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, yes, we have been justified. We have been made right before God once and for all by our faith in Jesus Christ. What he did through his life, death, and resurrection. Then the rest of that question is this. Then how can our final salvation be conditional upon a transformed life of holiness? If I'm already justified, right, if I'm already justified back here, if, if my faith made me right before God, all my sins are forgiven, it's all covered, it's taken care of, then how in the world at the end do I need to have these works, this obedience, in order to have final salvation? It's, it's tension, is it not? But we know that our Bible tells us this, that the judgment we know that we will be judged on what we have done with the salvation Christ provided. There's no such thing as me saying, okay, I mean, I've said my prayer, God has saved me, I declare myself a Christian, and there's no fruit from now until the time you take your last breath. That doesn't exist. You're you're not a Christian. First John will will show us that. It, It shows that you're not really among us meaning all of the believers. In Romans 2, 6, it says, he will render each one according to his work. 2 Corinthians five ten says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in a body, whether good or evil. So yes, your faith has justified you, but something has to happen from now until the end of your salvation because the word of God says, this is what you're going to be judged on. How in the world am I going to do that? Faith in future grace. How do these things go together? i got three different ways to show this to you. This is huge. Because, see, what happens is, is, is we, we get in the, in the, into these theological camps, right? And, and where one person will say, okay, man, I, I'm saved, I'm born again, I'm once saved, now I'm always will be saved, I don't have to do nothing, and then you have this camp over here that's saying, Oh man, it was my decision that saved me. I I agreed with, I came to me and God came to agreement, and then he gracefully saved me. And then now I better do X, Y, and Z, or I might lose this salvation that He's given me freely. Right? And we end up falling into these two different camps, but really we we gotta understand the whole, whole thing. The Westminster Confession, chapter 11, helps us to try to get a point, to the cross that I'm trying to make. That at final salvation, your life better, you better look back at your life, God better look back at your life, and see, okay, there's some things that I've done. There's some obedience that I've done in my life. So let's read this together. And there's some little old English here, right? That's all right. Those whom God effectually calleth, he also freely justifieth. Not by infusing righteousness into them. That infusion of righteousness, that's Roman Catholicism. Right? They're they're saying they're infusing this righteousness. On one end, it's Roman Catholicism. On the other end, it's this idea that I'll get a second filling, I'll get a baptism in the Spirit, and God will make me perfect. Either one of them, that's that's not what the, the Bible says. Both of them are going to extremes on each end. It's not an infusion of righteousness, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous. In other words, God accepts you as righteous, declares you as righteous because of what Christ has done, right? Not for anything wrought in them, nothing in you. Did God do this? This is because it gives him glory to do it. Or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone. To give him glory. I, I know that's a hard, that's a hard thing to, to wrap our heads around. Okay, this God in heaven, this God of love, it, he's doing everything to glorify himself. Yep, that makes him God, right? That makes him God. The confession goes on to say faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ in his righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification. Yet it is not alone in a person justified but is every accompanied with all other saving graces and is not dead faith, but worketh by love. Worketh by love. See, this this faith, the faith that saved you, the faith that whenever you said, I'm putting my trust in Jesus, he's the one that will save me, it is not alone. This faith also does a work in us, right? So that we may obey, that we sever the, the root of sin and we can obey him so that at the end, at the, at the final time, we can look back and say, "Look it's, God will look back at our life and look at everything that, that we've obeyed because of what God has done in us. Let me give you an example that helped me. I'll give you two examples that really helped me understand this. I, ho- I hope it helped you. There's an interesting story in 1 Kings 3 about two prostitutes that had babies. And I'm not gonna read from it. I'm gonna to try to do it um, just off the cuff here so we're not diving into all, all that it says, but you can go back. 1 Kings 3, 16 through 27. So two prostitutes go to sleep. They have babies, right? And, and they're laying on, you know, with the babies and, and one baby dies. And one prostitute gets up, Right? And takes the dead baby and switches it with the other lady that's there. So now, right, the, the one lady has a dead baby and, and the lady that, that really um, lost her child has a live baby. And, and so these two ladies are brought to Solomon, right? And, and so Solomon's asked for prayer. What am I supposed to? How, how are you supposed to know that? Are you supposed to know what babies a baby? Yeah, now today, I know maybe your mind goes, yeah, just take a DNA test. That's easy, right? They didn't have that back then, right? So you just need this kind of wisdom, right? This is the wisdom that, that your elders face all the time. This impossible solution like, oh, Lord, help us, right? You, you got to help us with this. So Solomon says this, well, it's easy. We'll just cut the live baby in half and give half to each one. The lady who did the swapping, was like, yeah, let's do that. But the, babe, but the lady that was the true mother, right, was like, no, she can have the baby. She can have the baby. See, what, what we're seeing here is her action of saying she can have the baby did not make her the mother, right? Her action... Proved that she was the mother. And in the story, Solomon takes the live baby, gives it to the proper mother. Do you see how that works? At the end, there needs to be something in your life that shows that this faith back here was real. And I say that that from that point, whenever you were saved, all the way to that point, whenever you're standing before God, faith and future grace helps you walk and produce that. Let me give you another example. This one also helped me. And this is straight out of Piper's book and probably 30 different sermons that he, he uses. This idea, think of the thief on the cross. Well, wait a minute here. What possible? So he's going to, just like all of us, he's going to be in front of God on, on judgment day and And how how Piper tells it is is God will pull out the the filing cabinet. Man, there's going to be a long list. I mean, this guy was a thief. He was a bad guy. He was being hung because he was guilty of all kinds of sin and things against humanity, right? And, And so his filing cabinet is going to be full of stuff. But at the very back of it, there's going to be a little folder that God will pull out. And there might be two works in it. There might be two things that he did to glorify God in it. First, he rebuked the other thief. That's probably one thing that's in there. And the other, and, and, and the other one is, is he kind of encouraged, he, he encouraged Jesus saying, I don't remember me in your kingdom. I don't, I don't deserve to be with you. But what did Jesus say? Today, you will be with me in paradise. See, that even that thief had, had all this stuff that he did wrong, but he had two good things that actually showed that he believed Jesus was the Son of God. So this is what we're talking about. This is what we're trying to, I want to try to have you see. And you're like, man, I, I just, I stumble away all the time with this. Well, yet, yeah. are you doing it in the power of another? Are you walking with God as you get up tomorrow and go to work? Every one of us has something coming up this week, I bet you, that you just need his help in beyond breath and food and just general graces that he pours out. And what, I, what I'm trying to show you is, is there's a necessity for that. That if you're a Christian sitting here today and you're like, oh man, severing the root of sin, that's not even on my radar. I don't need to do that. Well, what are you going to do on the final salvation? Because we know that just about all of our sin is just disobedience of what God told us to do, right? In essence. He's laid it out. I've made everything. This is how I've designed it. This is what's good for you. This is what's best for you. And we spend most of our time just disobeying what he says. That's sin. It's rebellion. So just let me recap where I am in my thinking so that maybe we'll be close to the same page. Um, Grace, the power to do what you cannot do on your own, is given to us by God. The agent being our faith. It's our faith that he gives the grace through, right? The agent being our faith, faith in the grace God will provide in the moment we need it. So we're believing, we're trusting in that whenever we need it in that moment, that God will pour out his grace as they're waiting for us, right? And the definition of faith I am using from Piper is receiving Christ as the supremely valuable treasure that he is and being satisfied with all that God promises to be for us in him. Receiving Christ is the supremely valuable treasure that he is, because he is. If we're trusting in Christ and we're turning from the world or we're turning from whatever we are believing in, then this is what we're believing, that he is supremely valuable, right? That, you know, if if your hangup is, is something materialistic, then he is more valuable than whatever that materialistic thing can bring you. He will give you more satisfaction than what that will bring you. So that's our faith. It's receiving Christ as supremely valuable. This grace, this power is given to us for a purpose. And that purpose is to sever the root of sin. All sin is some form of disobedience, some form of unbelief. So that when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, we're bringing works of obedience with us because we consistently are severing the root of sin, which is disobedience. So whenever we get there to our final judgment, we have in our luggage some good works of obedience that brought glory to God because they were done by believing, exercising faith in all the promises God is for me in Jesus. So what makes the things that we do good and glorious for final judgment is the fact that we do them believing, trusting in God's power, God's grace for them to be done. Isn't that a common question? Wait a minute, I'm about to go do this thing. Am I doing it because Joe wants to or am I really gonna bring glory to God? Well, whose power are you doing it in? Who are you trusting in to get it done? Is it Jesus? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it some promise from, from God? Or is it just, I can do this, I'll go do it. It's a posture of the Christian to, to always be submissive to, to God in that way. And we know that faith, this faith that, that we're talking about, the faith is, 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 is always future oriented. It is always future oriented. Hebrews 11 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews eleven eight 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called. To go out, in other words, wait a minute. God came to Abraham and said, "Go leave everything." Now, did Abraham just say, "Well, man, I'm a mighty man. I'm just going to go do that"? No. He was trusting God that when he got there, there'd be some grace there waiting on him. He obeyed when he was called to go out. Hebrews 11, 10 says, "For he was looking forward to the city that, was, that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God." He was trusting in God's grace. It'll be there. So how does this work? How does this work? This is straight from Piper. Faith severs the root of sin. Sin has power by promising a better tomorrow or better five minutes from now and by promising superior satisfactions. But true faith is of such a nature that it severs the root of sin by embracing a better future and providing a deeper satisfaction. When you live by faith and future grace, the power of sin is broken by the power of superior satisfaction in all that God promises to be for us in Christ. So, let me give you an example. Every time I would come in from from being out on the road when I was truck driving, those first hour, there was great tension in our marriage. Right? There was, there was great tension there because my wife just probably spent a whole week with three little ones that she's been chasing and doing every, doing everything because I'm out on the road and I'm coming in from being out on the road dealing with all, all of what the job details, but also, you know, that, that idea, I, I'm missing my family. I'm, I'm missing everything that they're that doing and, and, and everything like that. And just guilt and shame and guilt and shame. So all this guilt and shame comes crashing together in that first hour together. So if I'm going to believe God, if I'm going to believe that when I get home today, that how are this, how is this going to be different? Well, I'm going to trust God that Jesus is everything for me. He is my satisfaction, not what my wife gives me, not what my wife says to me, not what my wife has done for me. He is my satisfaction. So, therefore, I can sever the root of selfishness and self centeredness, and maybe I could be civil. You know, that's maybe the first time when we go through this. And then the next time, okay, we got the civil part. Now maybe I can just come in and and hit the ground running and trying to serve her the best I can because she's been taking care of the three kids. So then I'm praying for a promise of God to meet me there when I get there. Faith in his future grace. Walking in that. We know that faith is a great Worker, First Thessalonians one three says, "Remembering before our God or Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in Lord Jesus." Acts twenty six eighteen to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Piper goes on to say this. The grace in which we trust is not only God's disposition to save the unworthy, but the power of God exerted to bless us in the future with all that we need. It's believing his promises. Believing that his promises. As, I just love when God does that. Nate, Nate even said it. He said, all the promises of God are what? Are yes in Christ. So we're believing that Christ is enough, right? We're believing that. We're trusting in that. We're putting our faith in that. Let me just close with a, a couple of illustrations. So we're running out of time and, and we're going to mull this over, like I said, for a couple more weeks. And I'll be asking for some feedback. Let me just give you some illustrations from the from the word of God. Hebrews ten thirty two through 34. It says this, but recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. So he's talking to a church who's enduring some sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being pardoned with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison So here's the people, he's talking to these people, that what happened was, is whenever you were put in prison back in these days, okay, nobody brought you, there was no three square meals and a TV and everything else. You were put into the cell, and if you want to eat, you better have some buddies to bring you some food. And what he's talking about here, what he is saying here to these people is, you willingly identified yourself with the Christians that were put in jail, Causing persecution to come upon yourself by taking them food. So the question is, how did they do that? In what power did they do that? They know that if, 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 if my brother Derek's in, in jail and I take him some food, they're going to know that me and him are Christians and that now they're going to bring persecution upon me. So now how am I going to get over my fear, get over my selfishness? How am I going to get over that to go and help my brother Derek who needs food because he's in prison just because he's a Christian? The word tells us. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. What was that better possession? It was heaven. It, it, it was a life that it's promised for me. It's like, it doesn't matter what, God, what, what people do to me on this earth for these folks. Because, because what they're doing and how they did it was the power of believing, putting their faith in the future grace, the future grace of heaven, the future grace of, of everything that God is doing for them. Hebrews 11, 24 through 26 says, by faith, Moses when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So, he, so in other words, he's going to, I am going, going to take the beating, I want to take the abuse, instead of go and, and live in Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's palace, right? How did he do that? In what power did he do that? What was his thinking? What was his faith in? Verse 26 tells us, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, For he was looking future to the reward. He was looking to the reward. Faith is believing in things hoped for. It's future oriented. Yes, there there is is good and right place for believing and putting faith in in all the grace that is behind us. Because all the grace that is behind us proves that we can trust all the grace that's in front of us. Last one. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which cling to so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, running a race, looking to him, The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the future joy, you and me, sitting here today, and and maybe tomorrow, whenever you you give the gospel and he decides to to, um, send the Holy Spirit to save somebody, uh, the, the joy for that person too. For the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Even Jesus was looking for future grace, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. Jesus was sustained by the confidence, the hope that on the other side of these days, I will rise from the dead, I will have a resurrection body and I won't be bloody and in pain anymore I will have all authority in heaven and on earth. I will be exalted by my Father's right hand. I will gather over the next couple thousand years a people for my name whom I will bless with unspeakable joy for all eternity. And for that, for that, for that, for you, for that joy that, that didn't come to him until whatever day it was that you were saved, he'll endure the cross. For that joy, he'll endure the cross. How are we living our lives today? Is it in the power of ourselves or is it in the power, in the faith of God's grace that is ever arriving moment by moment, minute by minute? And I know, like I said, I know I took you all and threw you into the deep end of the pool. And I I know some of you are completely drowning and some of you like, yep, I got that. But I'm hoping over the next weeks, we'll continue to chip away at it and see how it can apply to our lives every day. It's believing in the promises of God that are all yes for us in future grace that it's always ever arriving. Has the joy for Christ been fulfilled in you yet? Do you know him? I hope that you do. I pray that you do. And for those of us that have known him, Lord, I just pray that you will grab hold of this. Grab a hold of some promises in the Bible and live by them and walk by them. Let me pray. Father, Lord, your spirit, I know today is working overtime to try to help us to see this glorious truth that is in your word. Lord, I I pray that you will help us to see and understand living in such a way, living by our faith, that your grace is there and ever arriving, that your promises that fill the Bible are yes in Jesus so he is our greater treasure. He is our satisfaction. And when we trust that you will meet us there, man, we can sever the root of sin. We can give you glory in everything that we do. We are fulfilling your purpose for us. Help us to see that, Lord. Help us to see it and then trust in you. Father, as we turn to communion, I just pray that we will see the joy that was set before you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.